Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining me on Spirit Sisters, the podcast, coming to you from my home to yours. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I hope you're all keeping safe and well in quarantine, wherever you may be. Perhaps, like many others, you're making the most of the opportunity to be still, reflect, and explore the inner landscapes of the heart and soul. If so, I really hope I can be of service to you in that respect through this show and maybe through my books as well. Speaking of those, don't forget that the anniversary edition of Spirit Sisters, the book that launched me on this path of mystical inquiry, is widely available online and in Australian bookstores. And naturally, I'd love to hear your thoughts if you're moved to pick up a copy. Now to today's episode. My guest, Courtney Beck, is going to share an utterly fascinating story that incorporates many timely gems of wisdom regarding the crisis we're all experiencing right now and what it might mean. For Courtney, a dark night of the soul a few years back led to a spiritual awakening that completely overhauled life as she knew it. Courtney went from being a strategist in the highest echelons of the corporate world to becoming a healer, coach and channel for the Hindu deity Krishna. That bond between Courtney and Krishna led to the channeled book, Conversations with Krishna, the first of three books they would publish together. Now I'll read out part of Courtney's bio. Courtney Beck appeared to have it all. She worked in advertising as a well-respected and well-paid strategist for some of the world's top brands. And after years of climbing the corporate ranks, Courtney finally attained her dream position. She had a wonderful family, a close circle of friends, and lived in a beautiful home by the water on Sydney Harbour. Just shy of Courtney's 35th birthday, and only two months into the role that she had worked her entire career to land, she experienced what those in the spiritual world call the dark night of the soul. It's a time of unexpected and unexplained deep introspection when we question our very purpose here on earth. A divine voice called out to her, asking her to pursue a path she never imagined. The problem for Courtney was that this deeply personal transformation was not easy to explain to her loved ones, nor was there a box for it on a company form. She could ignore it and continue down the traditional path she had trod, or she could answer the call, knowing that life as she knew it would change forever. So that's just the beginning of Courtney's extraordinary story. Settle in now for a truly mind-stretching and heart-stretching conversation encompassing Courtney's introduction to Krishna, how he told her four years ago about the rebalancing, and that's the word he used, that would change everything in 2020. 
Among other eerily prescient warnings to do with this, Krishna said all of the planes would land this year. Talk about goosebumps. Enjoy my conversation with the warm, wise and delightful Courtney Beck. Welcome to Spirit Sisters, Courtney. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. It's so lovely to be here. We first connected a couple of years ago and ever since I heard your story, I thought, oh my goodness, this story needs to be told. And I didn't even have a podcast then, although I might have had a little sort of nugget of an idea of it. But um, as soon as I started the show, I knew that at some point I had to get you on. Thank you. It feels um, feels definitely like the right time, that's for sure. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and that might be part of the reason why I haven't yet moved my bottom in, into action to get you on the show. <laughs> it had to be now. Yeah. Courtney, before we get into how your story unfolds after you leapt off the corporate ladder, I'd like to just go back and explore more closely the story of this just absolutely astounding spiritual awakening that we just briefly touched on in your bio. Please just take us back to those heady days when you appeared to have it all, but yet inside there was something in you that said no. Yeah, so I am, we, um, so my now wife Jules and our daughter Isabella, we had this dream life, (laughs) essentially. Um, We were living on on Sydney Harbour. We we had a beautiful property. Um, I'd reached a director level role in the media and advertising industry. I was known to be very good at what I did. And from an outside perspective, we had it all in every essence of, of the word. But I guess, I don't know, I've, I've always thought that it's it's easy to look at the cover of somebody's life, but we, we honestly never have any idea of, of what's going on on the inside. And so whilst our life looked really perfect on the outside, there was a lot going on on the on the inside that we weren't able to speak about at the time. And, and, and that was that my wife, Jules, was very sick and, and I guess contemplating her purpose on earth at this time and, and whether that was going to come to a close. Jules um, had had been diagnosed with something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and and basically for anyone who doesn't know what that is, and it's it's not a very well known um, issue, is that um, as women we have PMS, but PMDD is is like a very escalated version of that, where you know two two weeks of the month you're you're absolutely normal, and then for the other two weeks you're um you essentially have a death wish. And so whilst we had this very perfect looking life on the outside, um, you know, two weeks of our life was was very normal as a family. And then the other two weeks we were essentially just trying to work to keep Jules alive so that we could make it through the next cycle. And it, it, it wasn't it was something that was very private to us at the time and um, not something that that we wanted to talk about. And it's actually become, you know, a big a big part of, of Jules's story and it's essentially what turned me back to to healing, I guess being at such a point of desperation that, that I would literally do anything to keep her alive. And because we'd, we'd consulted every medical expert in the traditional world that we could find and, and there was no answers. So it was a very traumatic um, couple of years. You mentioned there that this very difficult, horrific situation with Jules's health turned you back to healing. So that makes me think that 
at some point in your life you understood that your role or part of your role here on earth was to heal? So when I had, um, to go back to my childhood, I had um, I had really chronic asthma as a kid and I, I'd spent a lot of time in hospital and, you know, frequently those times when, when I would have an asthma attack, I'd actually turn blue and I had quite a few brushes with, with near-death experiences quite early on. And we were actually, um, one night, my mum and dad, had taken my sister and I to a friend's place for dinner and and she practiced Reiki. And I was having one of these attacks and the ambulance was taking a long time to get to us. And Jenny essentially placed her hands on my chest and she calmed my chest down within about 10 minutes and we were able to to just call the ambulance off. And and it was at that moment that mum and dad said, you need to go and do Reiki. So it was was from a very, um, I guess, logical perspective that, it was um, when my Ventolin wasn't working that Reiki did work for me. And so they put me through Reiki 1 and Reiki 2. And it was through Reiki 2 that I realised that I could channel. But it – and, you know, we'll, we'll obviously talk about this, but I, I'd always been able to see spirits as a kid as well. But it was like I fiercely just wanted to reject it all. I, I needed it for my lungs, but – I had no interest in pursuing this side of myself. It was a very innate fear that was within me. Yes, and I've spoken to many people on this show and my other podcast who have that innate fear as well. And usually these are the ones who are extremely gifted, if you like, for want of a better term, or extremely powerful. And it's almost as if there is a fear of that very own power. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I still battle with that now. <laughs> Even, you know, it's um, it was 2016 when, when I kind of stepped back into this part of myself and, and I still have moments where it's it still scares me. And, you know, who knows where I'll be in 10 years time. Hopefully I'll, I'll be a lot more comfortable with, with who I am and, and what I do then. But yeah, it's definitely been an interesting path to to get me here. And I can't help thinking that you must have some extraordinary parents to not only accept that this Reiki has healed you, but to also encourage you to pursue that path yourself. Or or somehow they saw within you that you had this ability to heal as well. Like I, that is just it seems extraordinary to me that they had that kind of insight. Yeah, I have I have extraordinarily beautiful and open parents. Um, Dad is actually a DJ and and Mum's a nurse, but they've always been. Uh, I guess I've I was blessed to be born not with tiger parents that that were wanting me to go down a certain path. They've always said to my sister Chloe and I that 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 we could be whoever we wanted to be in the world. I was definitely an interesting kid, and I think that they knew that. Um, like I was trying to reconcile some of my story recently and I remembered that for one of my birthdays, I think I was maybe about six years old, that I'd asked my grandma for a lucky rabbit's foot at tiki, which is which is uh, from New Zealand. It's like a protection spirit. It's like a scary mask to scare away evil, evil spirits and I'd asked for a shrunken head as well. And so <laughs> I think I was exhibiting this other side of myself from a very young age and and mum and dad told tell this story of when I was even, I think, younger than six and they took me to a British museum exhibition 
that was exhibiting in Melbourne and it was on Egypt and I'd, I'd always been obsessed with Egypt and and I took them around this exhibition telling them how we used to use every instrument <laughs> that was in. Mm-hmm. So it's always it's always been there. Yeah, but I guess like uh, the the conflict for me, I think, was that my my dad was very successful in sales and marketing, and he ended up running a radio station. And and you know, mum was always a healer, so she's a nurse. And I guess I've always battled. It's like half of me wants to be so present in the real world and to run the material race, and then the other half of me has always been fascinated with with the meaning of life and why we're here and with spirits and and I guess for for a very long time uh, the other half of me was winning that tug of war yeah Mm. and I think a lot of people who are listening will relate to that tug of war and resonate with that but so this struggle this inner turmoil you know that you had where you wanted you knew that this spiritual side was definitely a massive part of you but at the same time you're rejecting it is there a sense that at the time that Jules got sick and you were just sort of two months into this dream position that you'd worked your whole career to get into is there a sense that at that time is when you began to realize that this rejection of those gifts or of that side of you was just not going to work for you anymore Oh, one, 100%. Um, so we had, because we'd consulted every expert in the real world, and I guess l- literally for us every every two weeks we were dealing with this ticking time bomb of, um, of, of Jules essentially planning her, her death. It was like this other side of her would, would, would kick in and, and then it, it was up to me to try and outwit her and she's incredibly intelligent <laughs> like I definitely met my equal in that in that respect and my my job in the corporate world was um was a strategist so I was essentially like a a problem solver and a crisis planner for for big global brands so I'm very comfortable in high pressure situations and this was the ultimate high pressure situation sort of knowing that we'd come into these two weeks where I would have to fight to keep her alive and it was only when I'd tried literally everything and I I actually had a spreadsheet of um, and this is how logical I am I had a spreadsheet of every possible means of death that she could try and I knew how many minutes it would take for her to expire I knew exactly what I needed to do I had everything plotted out and and it, it was like I came to a point where I realized that none of that was going to work and I guess it's those moments of desperation where we're really brought to our knees and I, I literally had to turn back to God. And I, I think I actually came out of the womb an atheist. I've always been, like I remember arguing with my Catholic uncle from a very young age and, you know, essentially, you know, kicking um, kicking holes in, in, in the Catholic doctrine. Like that was just like a sport for me growing up. So it was it was tough for me to turn back to that and to to literally say to to the spirit world I will I will do anything to keep her alive you just just tell me what to do and it, it started with with Reiki and it was interesting because it was it was like my life had to had to actually start falling away in order for me to to consider this and that's kind of when my spiritual awakening happened at the same time. Um, I, I joke now that I think that the spirit world was waiting for an opportunity when they could get some airspace <laughs> with me because I was just always so busy and so focused on succeeding that I never would have 
like had it had it had it not been that Jules was so unwell, I never would have given it the airtime to even consider this path. And certainly that is a story that I've heard before and anybody who reads stories of spiritual or spiritually transformative experiences and near-death experiences, that kind of thing, will be familiar with this idea of having to come to this ultimate point of surrender, the knees hitting the floor, losing the trappings, letting everything fall away before you can allow this other aspect to take over in a sense or to, to help you, to help because we need that side of ourselves to help ourselves. Courtney, you described it as a dark night of the soul, This all of this very difficult, challenging time that you're experiencing with your partner. For any listeners who aren't familiar with the term, could you share more about what the dark night of the soul is and how you experienced it? Yeah, so it's a it's a term used to describe um, the collapse of, of of the perceived meaning of of life. So it's it's like you go from everything making sense to nothing making sense anymore. There's no purpose to anything. Often it, it's triggered by an external event, um, like it was with me and and Jules, because I had heavily built up <laughs> my my meaning of life was my title, how much I was paid, my credibility. Um, it's like my, my whole identity was built out in the real world. And and on the inside, um, I guess whilst I like to think that I was, you know, somewhat of a deep person, I was just focused on, on succeeding. And so for me, this dark night of the soul was brought on by Jules being so unwell that literally it, in, in a moment, it made me realise the only thing that was important to me was her and her being here. And and everything else just fell away because it just felt so meaningless now. So it's like a total collapse of, of your life and your, your identity in, in one fell swoop. As we mentioned, you you were only two months into this job that you thought was the pinnacle of your life. And it's so interesting how the two things met and merged yeah it was um because I was I was essentially set and this is uh so many of the people around me couldn't believe it when I when I decided to throw in the towel on it and and obviously at at that time I wasn't comfortable telling them what was happening in our in our private life but yeah I had this this job that would essentially that if I if I just sat in in that chair for the rest of my days I would I would just keep earning more money, I'd keep getting more prestige. It would just, it was like I'd reached that magical part of the ladder where I didn't really have to work so hard to climb anymore. And and it just, all of a sudden, it just, it, it ceased to hold any meaning. Yeah. Can you share with us what the job was? Yeah, so I was working at, um, so I had become a strategy director at a large, at a global media organisation. And that for me was, that was the role I'd been gunning for my entire career that, and I'd, I'd reached it, you know, in my, in my thirties. So I, I don't know, it's funny because everyone around me, I think has always had this opinion that, you know, everything I'd touched has always turned to gold and I've always worked incredibly hard. Like I remember being described in my performance reviews as like a swan, just very graceful and calm. And I remember thinking, you've got no idea how fast my legs are swimming under the surface of the water. <laughs> but it was, it was like this, this moment where, where my, all of my work had, had finally paid off and I was able to sit in that chair with that title 
And it was just this foul moment of going, is this it? Is this really what I've worked so hard for? Because I've, I've always been criticised as, um, I guess, gentle feedback that I've never really been able to just enjoy the moment. When I achieve something, I'm always, I've always been the type of person that goes, what, okay, what's next? And I just move to the next mountain. I never just sit and enjoy it. And, and so for me, it was, it was finally this moment that I'd worked my entire what felt life for and it was hollow. Tell us about the divine voice that you heard at this time. This divine voice asked you to pursue something quite unimaginable. Tell us about this voice. Whose was it and what did it call to you to do? Yeah, so I'd, um, I guess in a, in a very strategic move uh, because I'd, there were so many changes for me going on at this time, um, like working in media and advertising, as you would, as you would know, you know, being that's, that's, I guess, similar to the world that, that you've come from as well. Yeah. It's, it's very focused on money and power and prestige and, and aesthetics and, and that, I guess when when your partner is essentially dying, all of that just feels very empty. And so I thought, okay, I probably can't continue to live in this world anymore and I, I realistically need a job where I can work from home, which, you know, that that type of work, they expect you to be in the office. Like I'd, I had a managing director at the time who, who used to say that, that, that if she yelled, she literally wanted me to stand up and I would appear. So it was, oh. it was very high stress and I just I couldn't keep working in the office anymore. Um, and so strategically, I actually turned to meditation just as a way of emptying my brain and I was coping with so much at the time and I just thought if I can empty my head, then maybe I can figure out what's next never expecting in my wildest dreams that I would have a spiritual awakening <laughs> at that time. What I actually experienced during a very average meditation was a spiral activating in my in my body and I felt my arms light up and it was a very physical experience and, and now I know it to be um, what some people would call a kundalini awakening, which is an awakening of energy in the body. But it was also like someone else had merged with my system so after I had this experience in, in the meditation, I, I'd gone and had a shower and it was like I was looking at my body for the first time and I heard this voice say, so this is the body that you've chosen. And and it was just, it was all kinds of strange. Um, and, and I remember putting on an audio book, you know, and I guess just trying to ground myself after what had just happened and, and hearing the voice that, that that this was human knowledge and then now I hadn't I had access to universal knowledge I didn't have to worry about human knowledge anymore so much so you had that um, understanding yeah and it was, it was like there was someone else inside of me as well and I remember going in, into Jules in the bedroom my wife and saying something really strange has happened and I described to her the physical experience that I'd had with the spiral activating and my arms being lit up and and look, feeling like I was looking at my body for the first time, and and then she just said, okay, well let's just let's just see what happens. Um, and then I had you know a series of different like food cravings, like I wanted Neapolitan ice cream, and I was really excited to drive the car. Like in in the spiritual world, they'll talk about like a walk-in experience, which is when 
essentially like one part of you or or I guess the whole part of you can walk out of your human body and then another, I guess, soul walks in. And for me, that's kind of what it felt like. It was like who I was walked out and then something else walked in. Yeah, it was like, it was like I had a housemate for the first time in, in my body. <laughs> and did you have any sense of who this housemate was? No, n- not at the time. I mean, my, my arms felt lit up like with a with the golden energy and I um I just felt like I wanted to write and it's really funny because in in my last few months of working in the strategy world um I was very disenchanted obviously with it and I remember friends saying to me you know if 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 you were to leave strategy what would you do and at this time, and it was quite funny at the time, I'd totally lost my filter. It was like a symptom of what had happened. And and I would say to them, I just want someone to give me a lab where I can learn all the information in the world. That's all I want. That's all I want to do is I just want to learn. And and I, I, I essentially got my wish. So I ended up finding out that it was um, – so basically I, I, I went and – wrote what would end up being the first four chapters of the book that I channeled with the Hindu deity Krishna, um, which was all about the creation of the universe. And it was lucky because that, that night we were actually going and having dinner with some friends and, and one of them was a yoga teacher. And I, all, all I wanted was just a, an external point of view as, as to what I'd written. And I showed it to Emmy and um, she said, this is this is Hindu cosmology where did you get this and I'd I'd had no like in in the past like I said when I'd done Reiki 2 I I realized that I could channel but it was always like my dirty little secret and I rarely rarely practiced it and and it was it was all about the creation of the universe and it was very different to anything else I'd ever received before Um, and it was the next day that I found out that it was it was Krishna Right, so there's a lot there. So first, yeah. I to ask you, <laughs> amazing. So firstly, I wanted to ask you the voice that you heard initially asking you about your body. Did you hear this like an audible voice in the room, or or how did you experience this? No, I I hear it inside my head. Which for someone who's very logical and rational, <laughs> that was, I was like, am I losing my mind? But it was so clear. It was just so clear. And I'd, I'd had similar experiences with hearing spirits over the years. Um, like in, in the past, I'd heard spirits speak to me. So it was just like I'd, it was like someone else had come in. But I just had this overwhelming sense that this person was different. It wasn't just like a normal spirit. It was um, uh, that, that, that feeling you get when you meet someone who's very wise. So that is the feeling that you had about the the walk-in or the person or the housemate who was now with you. (laughs) So I guess that's why it doesn't seem to me like you were afraid. You didn't feel fear. And is it, I wonder if that's because you had a sense that this was a benevolent and very wise being. Yeah, and I I had nothing to lose at that point, Karina. Like I, I was, it was just open slather in my life. It was like everything everything my, my whole world was so tipped upside down it um it it was probably um the most normal thing that had happened and I know that sounds so strange to say but it was it was like the one thing that made sense to me okay and so in in your bio you talk about the call now what 
what was this call? What did you understand it to be? Yeah, so it was um, it was when I started channeling again the next day that I found out that it was a Hindu deity, Krishna, that I was speaking with. And, and he told me that, that this is what we were going to be doing for the rest of my life. We were going to be writing books together and sharing knowledge um, and that, that my role here was as a messenger and that this was it for me. So it was like I'd gone from strategy director or, you know, strategy director who who needed a new job the day before um, to now finding out that I was a messenger and that that this was my path now, which was all kinds of crazy, as you can wow. imagine. I, I really can't. It's extraordinary, Courtney. So tell me how Krishna introduced himself to you. Was it through a meditation or, or how, how did that unfold? And how he and how you felt about his revelation that you would now be this messenger working with him? Yeah, so he would he would speak to me through my writing. Um, I could also feel him. Uh, it was it, as I said, it, it was like having a housemate move in. I could feel him inside my my body. I could hear him now. Um, like I remember having moments where Jules would would ask me a question, but I was deeply in conversation with Krishna. It, it was like. Um, I guess you know how if you meet like an amazing new friend and all you want to do is sit there and speak to them. <laughs> it was like I had that, but they were actually inside my head. So he would he would speak to me through my writing, but then as a, as I was moving through the world as well. And it was like I remember Jules saying to me that that there were times where she didn't know if she was speaking to me or speaking to Krishna, which was interesting because it was almost like we'd started to merge as well mm-hmm. yeah because I guess the the old me had totally um, was was in the process of falling away and so for I guess a, a decent period of time he became I guess everything he, he became my my stability and my my teacher and I guess best friend really and as you said you know you you described it as all kinds of crazy which is which is funny and obviously Courtney you were this person are this person who is a you know brilliant logical and critical thinker so how did you get past any doubts well first of all did doubts arise about your sanity about what was happening and how did you get past this Oh, ab- absolutely. I, I had many moments where I, I did think that I was losing my mind and where I would question that. And I was also still working in, in that world of, of logic and um, where my my credibility was, was everything. Like I was working with CEOs of, you know, big, big businesses and marketing directors and finance departments and, and, and yet I was hearing, you know, deities speak to me. <laughs> And and this wasn't something that I could I could talk about. So it was it, it was like for a long time I was leading a double life. There was me trying to look look good and act like everything was normal on the surface, and then there was the other part of me that was dealing with my home life and also speaking to these beings who who were telling me that that essentially I had one year to extricate myself from the world that I was in, so that I could start work on on channeling books. But I mean, I still I still have those moments now where I I question. <laughs> it's almost like I can take a step back from myself and go, the old me would have just laughed at the person that I am now. Like I'll come out with things and I just think, wow, like I've come <laughs> such a long way and I'm such a different human to who I used to be. 
it's it's tough and I think it's tough for anyone who comes into this and who all of a sudden starts hearing spirits or starts having these I guess mystical experiences because I think we the the world that we live in now in this modern age you know if if you're having those experiences it's likely that a doctor will want to prescribe you with an antidepressant or an antipsychotic whereas you know in ancient times it was these people who are having the visions that would end up becoming the shamans but we've lost a lot of that knowledge and perspective so that is so true Courtney yeah but it was funny too because I I lost it it was like I lost my filter um, which I mentioned earlier and it was it was like a a byproduct of the awakening I'd I'd always been very cool and calculated with my words and, and that was my job. And all of a sudden, my filter had gone. And I remember being, you know, in this meeting on, on one of the highest floors of Australia's biggest businesses. And I was asked the question in front of some very important people as to why staff weren't engaged with, with the brand or the business. And I, it just came out of my mouth. I said, well, the fish rots from the head down, <laughs> implying that it was the CEO and upper management and it was just it was this moment of just total truth where that's to, to me that's how it was you know there, there were a lot of problems in that business but the the old me would never have dreamed of saying anything like that I would have given a very politically correct answer but but that filter had just fallen away wow that's amazing how did your comment land in that room uh, not very well <laughs> Um, I'll never forget the look on my managing director's face because I was um I would I I would get taken to meetings because I I would say smart things in the room <laughs> like that was kind of my my reputation I was that one person you could rely on and I literally needed ten minutes notice and they would they would tell me what the meeting was about and and I could hold my own that was it was what I did and it you could was glide through yeah and it was just like this this beast had been unleashed where I just I couldn't hold back anymore it was just it was gone so that's helping us understand why you had to step away from that world you know it was just untenable you could not inhabit I mean I'm getting that feeling just listening to you now you know yeah and it was um you know I'd, I'd sit in meetings and and you know, my my bosses at the time and, you know, because I was freelancing in the end, um, so I was working at all different businesses at that stage and because that was enabling me to work from home. But I'd, I'd sit in meetings where they'd be talking about how much money they'd make from from this next job that we are going to work on. And I just, I was so disinterested and I couldn't even, um, I'm, I have a very expressive face and people always joke that I can't hide anything and my face just couldn't. I, I couldn't hide my distaste with with how little I cared about money and power anymore. And it was um it was funny because I I guess during the spiritual awakening my I, I would say, I'd try and explain to Jules and to the people around me who knew what was happening and I would say to them it was literally like it's like someone's stolen my brain and given me a new one. I can't do the work I used to do. Something is very wrong. And and I. I, I, I didn't have any evidence of that. And I think, you know, everyone at the time was like, Court, of course all of that knowledge is still inside of you. You've, you've just got to access it. And I remember doing a personality test or like a strengths test uh, pre-spiritual awakening and, you know, my top strengths were, you know, strategic, critical thinking, logic, zero emotion. And that, that that's what, that's how I did my job really well was that 
I worked with banks, um, alcohol companies, telecommunications, and it was my ability to put my moral and ethics aside that made me really good at my job. Like I used to joke that I was like the devil. Like if you paid me a, a high enough amount, I'd, I'd work on anything. Wow. And then all, all of a sudden <laughs> I, was filled, I was filled with heart. Like I would cry in ads and it was just, it was like my whole life my heart had been locked away and I was just all in my head and post-spiritual awakening I'd, I'd done another strengths test and it it had totally flipped to the other end of the spectrum it was my values were you know equality love fairness <laughs> it was um yeah it was it, it definitely was untenable for me to stay in that world in every sense of the word it is amazing it is like the old Courtney died mm. gone you know that person that that corporate go-getter is gone yeah, and there was there was a lot of grief, and I think my friends experienced a lot of grief around that too, because we we kind of lost a lot of friends at that time, because um, you know, a we were going through so much trauma in our personal life, and I think when people are going through really hard stuff like that, a lot of people don't know how to handle it, so they just fall away. And then I was also speaking to ghosts and and dead people and, and deities, and so I think for the rest of the world, and you know, definitely the people in our world, a lot of people made made the choice to step away from us at that time because it was it was too too challenging, I guess. Okay, so tell us about the other. So you you've mentioned deities in plural. Don't know. Where, there's so much that I want to ask you that I'm tripping over my. <laughs> So I want to know more about Krishna, but first of all, tell us about what you were experiencing throughout this awakening. You, you've mentioned the spirits of people as well, so dead people, ghosts. Tell us about how how you were experiencing all of this. Uh, so I'd, I'd always experienced that side of things. So um, it was something I heavily tried to suppress, especially with seeing spirits. Uh, every now and again, I would, I would see people, people who had passed would, um, arrive in in my bedroom generally like in 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 the black of night while I was sleeping I'd have uh, you know people who had passed in quite traumatic ways turning up and just staring at me and it was it was so terrifying and 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 that was a big part of the reason why I'd, I didn't want to embrace this part of myself is because I was seeing people who'd been murdered or you know killed in really traumatic circumstances and then they would just stand at the end of my bed or next to my pillow and of course I didn't want that <laughs> I just wanted to earn money and and look after my family and and succeed and and so I, I remember having a conversation with someone that I knew who was psychic and she said you, you really have to this was in my 20s she said you really have to make a decision if, if you want this ability or if you want to switch it off. And if you want to switch it off, you just need to tell them that you don't want them to come anymore. And so I would have this battle with them where I'd say, like, no, this is not what I want. And it would it would go away for a year or two and then it would come back. And, Courtney, were these people that you were seeing, people you knew, or were no. they people from the news, people? No, no, I had no idea. Like there was, there was one guy who turned up and... Um, I remember, and this was hard too because I couldn't really communicate with them. I was only getting like snippets. So one of them I knew had been killed in a fish market in Melbourne and it felt 
you know, like something to do with like the mafia or, you know, gangs or something like that. That was all I could get from it. And so you knew this, this quite specific information that he was killed at a fish market in Melbourne. Yeah. So you, you gleaned that from him, from the encounter, from his appearance? Yeah, because, and, and it was hard because initially they would, they would turn up and they would be blue in colour and um, scary. And, and so, the, my first instinct was just to rush and turn the light on, just to make them go away. And then I eventually got to such a point of trust, of such frustration that I um, I, I would essentially shoot forward in bed and be like, "What do you want? Tell me what you want." And it was only in those moments that I could, I guess, um, extract little pieces of information. Um, but like I often say to people now that. I think the reason why I've gotten so strong at what I do is that I literally spend hours a day in the spiritual plane. So to me, it's like going to the gym and working a muscle. So for me, I feel like my muscles, my guns are, are pretty strong now. Whereas back then it was, it was very, it was still very new. And, and I think two spirits um, can have challenges in communicating to us when they come here. Um, like often I'll, I'll get uh, Jules's nonna who's Italian and she, her English isn't great. <laughs> so we will try and have conversations with each other, but they're obviously like in very broken English. And I, I think it's the same energetically. Lots of spirits try to come through, but, you know, it's um, it's trying to find ways to connect with them that works for both of you. That's the toughest thing. And when you say they speak to you, for instance, this man that was killed at the fish market, is that a telepathic conversation or can you actually hear him no, it's always always telepathic for me. It's very. I've um, I had one experience with a spirit where I actually audibly heard them outside of myself, and and that was terrifying. I hope I never have that experience again. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, so it was. I was living in this haunted house in in Queensland, and I I did not feel good living in this house from from the moment I lived there, like from the moment I moved in. And there was one night I was cleaning my teeth and. I was on the, the second, it was like a, a raised house, like an old Queens, Queenslander, and yeah. I was standing cleaning my teeth and there was a, a window to my right ear and, and that window, there was just a drop of maybe four metres and I heard this in my ear, Courtney, Ooh. and it was so chilling and I, I just bolted and bolted in to see my my girlfriend at the time and my other housemate and I just said to them I've just had this experience and then they both fessed up at that moment that they'd been having experiences too and that the other girl um, that she would feel someone getting into bed with her at night and even my girlfriend at the time she was a total non-believer in in the spirit world and she'd had strange experiences and and so because I could channel I'd, I'd sat in the kitchen the next day with the two of them there with me and I just channeled and asked questions and said who's in this house and and I got that this house had been moved from another place and that a family had lived there and it was really strange because every now and again this this puddle would form in the kitchen on the kitchen floor like a puddle of water but it wasn't connected to anything it was in the middle of the room not connected to the fridge and and I got told as I was channeling that it was a, a mother and a father and a, a son had been living there and that this puddle that would appear was like a memory of the abuse that had occurred um, in in the house. So this, this boy was, you know, being abused, physically abused, and that his 
um, that he'd, I guess, peed in, in, in the kitchen. And I'd also been told that that this husband would there was like this room that was off my housemate's room it was like a strange little room and at the time she would keep her drum kit and stuff in there and and I was told that he he would lock his wife in this room and it was interesting because we could actually see the place where this lock would have been it was removed but you could still see um in the wood I guess the imprint of that there'd been a lock there so Wow. Yeah, but I'd, I'd often feel the kid tugging on the back of my shirt and that was very physical. I'm really glad, Karina, that now all I feel is I see them telepathically. And my experience with spirits have changed a lot now. It's where, where they used to appear as, as blue to me and, and looking deceased. I actually see them as living now. Um, oh, so it, it's not – it? and that, that happened after Krishna and um, that changed. So, yeah, so that, those experiences were always – a part of my life but it was it's it's like if you if you have the choice of walking down a beautiful golden path into the sunlight or down a dark scary path into a cemetery I was never going to take the path that that led me into the cemetery it was just it was too terrifying of course and that makes sense given what you you were saying and it's just so interesting the way you used to see them when you had a fear I guess Courtney of death and believed in death and then following your your introduction to Krishna who has I'm I'm paraphrasing I'm imagining taught you that there is no death then you see them as living yeah and I'd um I see them all the time now um and it's it's, now like give us a story about how you see a spirit now as and how different that is to for instance those those examples you gave us yeah it's it's more (laughs) I guess it it's changed from being I guess in in the past pre Krishna entering my life and everything changing it was it was an epic terrifying event whereas now it's it's almost it has the same feeling for me as seeing someone on the street it's very normal I remember having a moment of frustration a few weeks ago where I was really busy I had you know healing clients that day and I had things that I needed to do and and Bella our daughter who sees spirits she oh, actually she? Said to yeah, yeah. So my my whole family does now, which I joke is like app sharing. It's like as my abilities <laughs> develop, so do theirs. And she said to me on this day where I was very focused on doing what I needed to do, she said, "Court, there's a spirit in the kitchen." And I remember thinking in my head, "Look, as long as it's not a demon, I can deal with it later. <laughs> like, <I'll> just <laughs> just let me do my work." So. Yeah, I mean, there was even when we were living, we'd spent a couple of years living up near Byron Bay. And there was this notorious stretch of road, which was unspeakably beautiful. It was just through all of these old trees. and But it was a very, very windy road. And I know from driving there, there's been a lot of accidents along that stretch. And frequently I'd, I'd end up with passengers in, in, in the back seat. And, and it was essentially people who I guess had, had been in an accident or who had passed along that stretch of road and so as, as soon as I would feel them in the car I have one spirit guide called Mariana who I guess is like my offsider in daily life like I kind of think of Krishna as being my spiritual father whereas Mariana is kind of like my, my bestie and I've, I'd call Mariana in straight away and I'd just say you know Em can you please help this person pass over to the other side like can you because pl- they, they, they'd always ask me to take them home oh, which was really oh, sad in itself yeah yeah, and so I would just call in, you know, Mariana and just ask her to, to take them back and, and pass them over. And 
and and and she would jump straight into the back seat and then all of a sudden they'd they'd, they'd both be gone so I guess that's one of the the services that I offer that you know if I do encounter um, a spirit that's still here and you know I say I say this to Bella as well because it's really interesting with Bella so she's 15 and and she she sees mourning or grieving women that's who she uh, that's who is drawn to her and when we were teaching her about that you know I just explained it to her and say like any anyone that's still here it's it's because there's something unresolved for them and the best thing that we can do is help them pass over so that they can get the help that they need and and you know there's teams of people on the other side that are there to help us resolve what we couldn't resolve in this life so to me the the best thing I can do is just help them get over as quickly as possible and I guess that's different to what you used to do as well because I mean I'm not sure Courtney for instance the man who died at the fish market were you able to help him cross over or the family who'd endured the trauma and the abuse were you able to assist them to cross over no because I I I didn't have the knowledge at that time um and I I only saw that man from the fish market once and that that was kind of the the problem and the challenge at that time was that I was only seeing those people once yeah it, it wasn't anything that was recurring and I don't know, I guess like with, with everything I've learned over the last few years, I've come to realise that we, we all have a different purpose and I think my purpose has been made very clear to me that, that my role is to is to channel messages and to, I guess, be that bridge between the worlds and I think that there are people that are here to help, uh, those people who have passed and who are still here to resolve their what they what they need help with. So I'm 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 kind of glad I'm that's 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 not my job. I have an, an immense appreciation for people whose job that is, but I'm I'm glad that I'm just a messenger. Yes, and let's get back to that that role of you being a messenger and and your your meeting and your bond with Krishna. Now, I'm curious to know what your knowledge was of Krishna prior to this awakening and him introducing himself. Did you feel any affinity with him or you know, was spirituality even a part of your life? It seems like it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I had no interest in it. If if anything, I as I said, like um, kicking kicking holes in in other religions was was like a sport for me. That was and now, now I look back, I had so many past lives where I've, I experienced persecution. I now understand why I've struggled so much with religion my whole life. Um, but I had, I had zero knowledge of Krishna. I actually had to Google who he was. I had, I'd never looked into Hinduism. Um, and it's so funny to me now because I have multiple Hindu spirits around me. And, yeah, I remember Bella, our daughter, saying to me, are you, are you going to become a Hindu now? And I said, no, it's just, they're just, you know, some of my teachers, like I also speak to Isis, who's an Egyptian goddess. But yeah, I, I, now I know that Krishna and I have crossed paths in other lifetimes and, okay. and that connection makes sense to me because initially I was like, Krishna, why would you choose this white girl from the corporate world in Sydney? Like, <laughs> surely there's someone else you could serve you better than me. But now I realise, I mean, now that I understand, I guess, the, the journey of the soul and, and how far we've come that it was in one of my earlier lives that, you know, I've, I've encountered Krishna. It's just like an old connection that I'd forgotten about, I guess. These beautiful books. Now, I, I'm only lucky enough to have the first one, which you kindly gave me. It's called Conversations with Krishna. And I want to just tell the 
the listeners how beautiful the book is, not just to read but also to hold and look at. It's a, It's got such a gorgeous design on the cover and it feels so beautiful, the texture. So you've done such a lovely job with that, Courtney. Thank you. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. Now, tell us about this first book that emerged and its overarching message because it's got a really profound message that runs through the course of the conversations that you share in the book. Yeah, so it's a it's it's a guidebook for Earth as we were destined to live is how it's been described to me. So we as human beings, when when we come onto Earth, you know, we're we're taught by our parents, by our teachers, how to see the world, and we're I guess we're we're taught what we should consider to be important and and what's not and and what's laid out in this book is essentially how how the spirit world would like us to see earth that we're equal to to plants and animals and it's it's kind of like looking through looking at earth through an entirely different lens um, for the first time so it's got 111 different chapters that are essentially standalone chapters on everything from, you know, I guess joy, sorrow, pain. Yeah, it's just it's a beautiful, I guess, companion for for life. Um, and it, people have quite magical experiences with it. Like I have lots of people who read the book who just hold their hand over it and then just open open. Um, the book at a, at, a, at a totally random page and receive the message that they need. Um, people tell me of like quite odd experiences that they have with it. So there's definitely an energy to the words, but it definitely helps, I guess, reshape people's perspectives of, of life, which I think it's it's nice to have that opportunity to do that. It's beautiful. And as you say that, I've just opened it and I've fallen to page two, 290 and it says, Growth is life and life is movement. Change your mind, change your actions, and we can change the world we live in. So it's that's so profound. It's a little bite-sized quote that you could spend a day unpacking, yeah. <laughs> if not a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. And just reading the quote on the cover actually as well is enough to give us goosebumps when we think about the time that we're in. So it says, we have strayed from the path of our original creation, destroying the earth and ourselves in the process. And obviously all of these quotes are Krishna's. And how amazing, Courtney, that this time that we're experiencing now, you know, COVID-19 global crisis, to me it seems like there are parallels in what Krishna is. I don't know, would you call it a warning or, or warnings that he was giving us or how would you describe Absolutely. it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think people there are, there are two ways you can read that book. You can read it as a, as a, just a very beautiful, um, I guess, collection of, of quotes that that will make you question how you've thought about the world and yourself and and your relationship with everything around you. But then if you read between the lines, it it, it was definitely a warning, and that's that's what I was told from the beginning, from when this all started for me back in 2016, was that. 2020 was what my life was about now. Yeah, I was given this year and uh, and at the time I just thought it was crazy because so I was told that that all of the planes would land which at the time I thought okay that's maybe a bit extreme guys mm. <laughs> and and that financial structures would fall and that the earth's population would essentially be split in two with half the world wanting to uphold our traditional structures and the other half would want to go back to a simpler way of living. I was told there'd be more natural disasters and that what we would go through would essentially be what the spirits call a rebalancing, 
which to me is a really beautiful way of saying um, we are going to fix up the damage that you guys have done. And what I was told was that we had, you know, four years to try and reverse as much of the damage that we'd done as possible before they they being, I guess, Mother Earth and, and, and the spirit world would have to come in and help us do that. It's chilling, Courtney, yeah. Oh, and, and I, I think the, the planes for me are the, were the, the biggest thing because um, my sister and my soon-to-be brother-in-law both work for Qantas and I remember thinking at the time, you know, that that was just a wild idea. And I just want to share before you go on with the listeners that two years ago we had a phone conversation. Couldn't have come at a better time for me. You were so kind and lovely. I was going through so much sort of hard stuff at the time and you you didn't know me but you you opened your heart, told me your story. And I have to say you told me all of that. You told me back then that this would happen. You told me, I'm just remembering now as you're talking, Courtney. Yeah, you definitely. About 2020, the reset, the planes landing, the financial structures collapsing, all of it. You said it then, I remember. Yeah, I definitely feel like less of a weirdo now than what I did because <laughs> I think up until that happened, everyone that I told was, it was strange. Like some some people would listen and, and other people would just kind of look at me puzzled or, or just blankly. And it's funny because I've been reading this um, this book that's all about you know how to how how to essentially prepare for the end of the earth or for a pandemic and and I was joking with Jules saying man we should have started our work like five years ago when Krishna told us to <laughs> because we we have no idea how to garden and you know there's there's so much that we could have planned for this time because we we always knew that it was it was going to happen and. I think in the past where I had a lot of fear around it and, you know, when, when he first told me about it, all I wanted to do was go and buy water and canned canned goods and stock up our, you know, this space that we had under the stairs. Whereas now I um, I'd, I had an interesting conversation with Krishna the other day and I was quizzing him about, you know, is there is there a cure for this, for, for COVID-19? And he said there is. And I said, well, let's do it. <laughs> let's. Let's roll it out. Why is someone not rolling it out? And he said, would you, do you want to hear the consequences? And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, well, how much do you think humanity would change if there was a cure tomorrow? And I said, not at all. And he said, is, is that what you'd want? And I said, no. Like I, I feel like we, we are in this beautiful moment where we're forced to look at ourselves, we're forced to look at everything you know, that we that we have in the world. And I was explaining it to Bella, our daughter, the other day. It's like this moment in time where we can either leave all the baggage that we have and that we're carrying, we can either leave it here in the old world, old world, and we can just walk forward with one bag that we really want to take with us, or we can just continue on the path that we were on. And I think everyone knows that path wasn't working. Like the earth is just so... I guess shattered and and barren compared to what it would have been like in 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 the past. And I think there's so many beautiful things in the world now. Like, you know, technology holds a purpose. If anything, I feel more connected to my friends now than what I did before because I'm actually making the time to speak to them now that I'm in quarantine. Um, I question how busy I was previously and and whether that was just running from things that I needed to face. Like we're all. It's it's a beautiful moment in time right now, and whilst it's a scary time for I think so many people, we really do have an opportunity to reinvent ourselves and to reinvent the world that we want to live in. 
And this is what this time is for. As as you said, as Krishna told you just weeks ago, we need more time to change. If we were to get the solution, the cure tomorrow, it wouldn't change. It's so profound and I'd not thought of it that way, but that is that just rings so true. Yeah, so I think in the past where I had a lot of fear around 2020 and it, it, for, for me it, it, it felt like a timer on a bomb. Like I've for the last four years I've just been waiting and I remember on, you know, New Year's Eve of 2019 when everyone else was celebrating, I was like, okay, this is it. This is, this is the year that my last four years have been about and we're about to step into it. And I felt such... Um, I guess the the weight of, of responsibility that I knew that this would be um, the year where I would have to really step into what I was here to do and and that the work that we'd been doing on the books would become even more important and um, yeah so this is I mean this is it but I guess I mean it's, it's been interesting so far you know I was reading that there were a plague of locusts I think we're in Africa and we've seen so many volcanoes exploding and COVID-19 if we're only a few months into the year and it's pretty scary to look at everything that's happened so far globally. It is and I'm sure that given your trepidation on New Year's Eve I can imagine how you would have felt when the fires began to really take hold you know and this just this sense of apocalyptic doom you know just engulfing us it was just how did you how did you experience that given your knowledge of 2020 and Krishna's message? Yeah, well, I'd I'd been told about the fires years before, so I'd been told that all around Sydney would be on fire and that it, it wouldn't be a good place for us to be anymore. <laughs> that was part of the reason why we'd moved to Byron. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and and I, I had a similar moment in, you know, when when the fires were happening, where I said to Krishna, "Can can we not?" Can someone just bring the rain? <laughs> Can we just put them out? And 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 then I thought, no, who am I to question what's happening with the earth? Like where we, I guess, as humanity are so temporary. Like, you know, there were dinosaurs here and who knows what else has inhabited the earth while while she's been here. But, you know, who who am I to question that I know what is the right answer in this time? And maybe... We need to have this fire for one reason or another. Maybe it's nature's way of cleansing, you know, who knows. Mm -hmm. And it, it was so fascinating, like, seeing the photos that emerged after the fires where there was so much beautiful life, like greenery springing up again. And it was yes. these photos of, you know, charred trunks, but then there were these beautiful, you know, pink flowers that were emerging. And, yeah, it's uh, so I think it's it's been a process of learning to surrender for me and realising that, as someone who used to pride herself on always knowing the answers to everything, <laughs> that I'm very much a, a happy passenger now, trusting that everything is going to go as it needs to go. And humility is a trait that can be sorely lacking, especially in our Western culture. You know, we just don't, we don't revere that trait and we actually can misconstrue it as weakness, can't we? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the, the further I get into this work and into this world, the more I, I guess, just when I think I've been brought to my knees, I'm brought to my knees again, and I realise how much we still don't know. And so I would, I would never want to presume that I held all the answers to everything. And whilst I have some really illuminating conversations, you know, there's, there's no way that I could ever 
ever believe that I could understand how intricately and cleverly the web of life has been put together. And I, I remember having a conversation with Krishna about, you know, he talks about um, how we're so passionate about saving the bees because we realise that if the bees died, then humanity would only have a certain amount of time that, that we lived. They're, they're crucial to our survival. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you know, Court, there's so many other animals that have that same importance, but I'm not going to tell you what those are because it's not your job as human beings to decide who to save and who not to based on what serves you best. It's been a wild ride and... I'm really loving where it's going and and where it's taking me. Definitely not the path I'd planned, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I think out of destruction comes beauty. Definitely your story really, really tells us that. So, okay, so Conversations with Krishna, the first book, is very much about helping people to understand, this is what I'm getting speaking with you now, Courtney, helping people to understand what's coming in 2020. So there was a sense of urgency, I think, for you to get the book out, wasn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, incredibly important. And um, and that, that was tough because I ended up deciding that I was going to self-publish the book because I'd, I couldn't wait um, for someone to want to publish it. And I think there's there's um, a lot of weirdness around people who channel. Like I think there's a lot of, um, I guess, a, a lack of understanding around that. So I'd, I didn't want to wait to publish it through traditional means because I guess the thing that's become most prevalent to me is that this information just needs to be out there so that people can access it. So that's what I've focused on. Okay. And so concurrently with your your book writing, your book publishing, your work with Krishna that is about the healing of the earth and the healing of humanity, you've got your wife and her healing as well. Now tell us, how is Jules today and how is that problem, has that been resolved, that health crisis? Yeah, it has been. And she's a completely different human being now. And it's it's so funny because we've both had such a huge transformation, um, you know, like me going from advertising to now working in spirituality. And in her former life, she was, um, she was a swimwear model and now she's working in, you know, she actually has some beautiful healing arts of her own that she's still, I guess, gathering the confidence to share. But she's also an incredible writer. And so she, her passion has become uh, sharing her journey so that, uh, because I think so so many souls leave, you know, the earth early because they, like us, um, they're, they're not able to find the answers that they need to the crisis that they're facing. And you know, Jules, I mean, her, her path took her to Ecuador for three months to work with um, shamans from the high Andes and healers um, who'd come down to basically teach Westerners their art forms and their healing arts. So her journey took her there. So, you know, where, where I was brought to my knees in one way, one way we were joking last night as a family that, that, that Jules was being whipped with, with reeds by a little old healer from the Andes. Um, so her journey took her to volcanoes and, and the mountains and much more of a grounded, where I'm the sky, she's very much the earth and is ground, you know, grounded in the earth. But yeah, she's writing her own book and um, I guess we've just been so privileged and lucky to be able to keep walking through this walking this path together I think we're you know there's so many couples I would imagine who one person goes through a spiritual awakening and that's the thing that breaks them one person outgrows the other or chooses a different path whereas we just keep plowing forward together um, 
and learning and and without without her I would never have stepped into my my role it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have happened I don't think Mm. I'm incredibly stubborn (laughs) (laughs) it's lovely as you say that she's very grounded in your sky well that kind of just you know tells us why you're perfect together and and there's a sense of your bond your union being for a greater purpose as well you know given that what's emerged with Krishna and the books as well yeah and I think I'm just so lucky to have such a supportive partner like from from the moment I started talking to Krishna she'd said you know okay (laughs) let's just roll with this and and even, you know, back when I was wanting to leave strategy and when I was trying to leave it, you know, there were times when we were totally dead broke and out of money and living on rice and beans. And I'd say to her, like a criminal, I'll just I'll just go back and do one more job. And, you know, I remember her saying to me, I'd, I'd prefer it for us to live in a cardboard box and for you to go back to that world and face. Because I, I had such huge anxiety and I, I was definitely on my way to an early grave with my stress levels working in that world. And and she's always put, put me first in that way, and which I think is incredibly brave. I think so many people would just want to stick with. I mean, changing changing industries is is confronting, even at the best of times. But our whole life was tipped upside down when Krishna came through, and and she's just been absolutely incredible. So Jules is was healed through your Reiki. What was it in the end that was the turning point in her health journey? So we we actually and I you know I I was giving Jules healings daily and calling on my spirits, but I I just I couldn't seem to to get through. And so we we actually discovered a, a really beautiful shaman who worked up in Byron. Um, called Peter Bowden and and so he he stepped in at a point where I guess the, I, I think that the hardest thing is you can have all the abilities in the world but that becomes in, incredibly difficult when it comes to the people that you love you can lose objectivity and and so he was able to step in at a point where you know he could he could just let me be Jules's partner and and he could walk with her on, on that dark path and it was his healings that actually I think, got her head back above water. And then Jules made the decision of going to Ecuador for three months to to basically find herself, which was a huge leap of faith for all of us. Um, So Bella and I were were left at home to fend for ourselves. And, yeah, and I think it was that that turning point. But she's still on on her journey of finding herself and and has discovered that writing is is the thing that um, is, is the way she wants to share her message. Okay, and speaking of writing, you have recently released the second book in the series. So tell us about that one, and it's called Awakened Souls. And uh, feel free to share a couple of the insights. So uh, Awakened Souls, so where Conversations with Krishna is is focused on the earth and, and, and how we see the earth and our place in it, um, Awakened Souls is definitely about who we are in ourselves and and who we are at a soul level so I think in in modern life it's tricky for us to avoid the trap of of feeling like just accumulating more is going to be that thing that makes us happy and 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 that's that's the path that I was on I would you know commonly think when I was in the corporate world I'll just get this next promotion and and then I'll feel happy I'll just get this next thing I'll get this next raise and 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 then I'll feel full and it doesn't it doesn't happen because it's all focused on the external world like 
trying to fill yourself up with something on the outside world it, it never fills the space that's left within and and that's what this book is about it's it's about Krishna's perspective on the path to enlightenment which is essentially the stripping back of ourselves to find who we are so we I guess like clay we could make the mistake of thinking if we just keep adding more and more on the answer will reveal itself when really the truth is is the stripping back. So I found a quote that I wanted to share. Thank you. Okay. So this is from Awakened Souls. For a human to regenerate, first we must shed and be stripped bare. It is the stripping bare that is painful, the emptiness of when the last leaf has fallen that we feel naked. Then we begin to feel at home with the that winter brings. And I think that's such a beautiful Lovely. way of describing the spiritual awakening process because that's that's essentially what happens. It's when, and this is most of my work now with the people I work with all over the world, they, they come to me when their life is falling apart. And I always joke that people only come to me when they've been brought to their knees. And it's it's true. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's it's getting comfortable with, you know, where we're at now with our life, with what COVID-19 has, has brought, this period of isolation where we're having to do this really deep reflection. And and I think we're all essentially on this spiritual awakening journey right now. It's just that an external source has prompted, I guess, this search within. Yes, that absolutely rings true. And I know, Courtney, that there's a third book on the way too, Universal Law, and it sounds absolutely intriguing. Can you give us a snapshot of what to expect in that one? So Universal Law, um, so where Conversations with Krishna is about the earth, Awakened Souls is about the self, Universal Law broadens it out to uh, the laws of, of, of the universe and the unseen things that govern our experience on earth. So I've got another quote, if that's okay. Oh, please, yes. So in the beginning we were acutely aware of the laws that governed us because they were taught to us. In the age of Atlantis, we knew the impact and power of universal law and worked with each law to elevate our creativity, impact and ethics. However, when Atlantis fell and the new era took over, we saw a change in arrogance that swept the world. Human beings were in power and not inequality, and the universe and its laws fell into the distance. We will take you through the events of this time so you may see the fall of Atlantis, why it happened, and what you must do to create your own Atlantis here on Earth again. But first, you must learn the laws that created Atlantis, the same laws that made them fall. So I'm getting all shivers of truth. (laughs) So essentially, Krishna retells, so he he was in Atlantis at that time, and it's from his perspective, he tells the story of Atlantis alongside these universal laws that initially they worked in with beautifully, but then there were changes that were going on within within that society that caused things to fall out of balance. And there's a tremendous amount of parallels between our world now. So in, in Hindu cosmology, essentially time on earth is broken up into four different chapters. And so we're in the fourth chapter at the moment, which they call the Kali Yuga, which um, I affectionately call the Homer Simpson era. So whilst we can believe that we're gods in so many different ways, we're, we're so far from who we were. And, you know, if you think of chapter one as being the enlightened era, we're, we're pretty far from enlightenment at the moment, I think. Um, and I think what this period in time is creating is, 
I, I always knew there would have to be a catalyst for us to move into this enlightened era again. And it's interesting through looking at the journey of Atlantis, how many parallels there are between their society and our society. And I, I just think it's a it's an amazing story and, and people learn through stories. So it's one yes. I'm looking forward to sharing. Yes, I'm so passionate about stories and they're just such beautiful little learning vehicles, aren't they? I mean, I know myself, if I, I'm searching for a podcast and I fall upon somebody who's got wonderful things to say, but they're just kind of sharing it as a lecture, I'm so likely to turn that off and look for somebody who's just telling me their story. Yeah. It's really powerful. Yeah. Well, I, I can't wait to hear more about universal law. I've read a little bit about Atlantis and um, the thinking that takes us beyond thinking of this place as just a mythological, you know, creation. My understanding is very little. I'm learning a lot. But I, I know that now it seems that it was a place that existed. Is that what you believe too, Courtney? Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, the spirits constantly talk to me about uh, wanting to create a new Atlantis on Earth, and I think this is where we could we could look at this time as as an ending, and and I think that's potentially how I looked at 2020 for the last four years. I thought, you know, I was kind of I I, I had a lot of fear about what 2020 would bring, whereas now I I look at it as a necessary passage that we need to go through to to get back to the good stuff, mm. um, so that we can create this new this new Earth that's better for everybody. It is very much like your own personal story that, you know, that triggered all of this, your own dark night of the soul. It's as if we are collectively going through this dark night of the soul, but there are gifts within it that um, that we will be able to make the most of if we just stay the path. Absolutely, yeah. And, Courtney, on that note, what advice would you have for anybody who's listening who is either experiencing this dark night of the soul or they've got this deep craving in them to make a change, to pursue their heart's calling, but they're scared? Um, I kind of, I've always seen it as as like a volcano. I think we all have this lava within us, which is this purpose that's just rumbling, you know, somewhere deep inside. And, and I think eventually, like any volcano, it's going to erupt. So I think if, if, if you feel that there is something missing, then there is. And I think that the spiritual world is just... There, there are so many answers there and we can we, we can do this on our own like I stubbornly tried to do for so many years or or we can just tap into these amazing beings that are there to help us and, and who, who want us to step into our purpose and, and save us the time. But I, I always think too that there's it's never too late to change. Like I think my, my dad is a prime example of that. You know, dad was in the corporate world for a long time, yet in I think the 70s and the 80s he was a DJ and, you know, years ago he decided to, to quit the corporate world and, and reinvent himself and go into DJing and and now he's DJing at major festivals. And it's <laughs> just, what a legend. Yeah, he's, in, he's in his 60s and it's, I think we, as, as human beings, we, we learn to tolerate a level of pain and I think we can assume that life has to be painful. And I think whilst there are painful moments, sometimes it's it's just better to, to throw ourselves in into the flames and, and to really look at things, knowing that this short period of pain could end up with a lifetime of happiness. And, and I, I'm so glad whilst I was dragged kicking and screaming down this path 
I'm so glad that they persisted with me and, and encouraged me to keep following it because um, I think I actually have a chance of filling that hole that's within me now versus trying to chase that in, in, in the corporate world. And we're all the better for it, I can tell you. <laughs> and just as we're winding up, Courtney, if you had to pick any of Krishna's messages that you feel are most important for our audience to take away with them today, is there anything that comes up? Yeah, so I'd, I'd chosen a couple. I'd, I tuned into him this morning and just said to him, you know, are there, is there anything that you want me to share? And he he asked me to share something that's for the heart, something for hope and something for solitude. So maybe I'll let you Beautiful. choose which one you want to hear. Can we have all three? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Okay, so we'll, we'll go with the heart first. If you have a hole in your heart, mind or soul, sit with it. Do not run away from it. Do not try to fill it up with something else. Just be in its presence and let it be in yours. Soon enough, the winds of time will sweep the earth back over it and you will feel complete again. This is life. And as much as a whole can be an ending, it can also be a new beginning. So that's from Conversations with Krishna. And that really brings us back to this moment with, with the coronavirus crisis as well. It really can be applied to that collectively too, I think, you know, to just sit with this whole and things will improve. Yeah, and it, that's definitely what I've decided to do. Like I see so many people around me trying to find meaning in, in what's happening and and I've just decided to just put my raincoat on and just sit in it. And and I think that's what we're here to do. We're here to learn to sit within ourselves. And we, there's, as we talked about, there's such rare opportunities for us to do that. So, yes. yeah. It really makes me think of one of my favourite passages from the scriptures, just be still and know that I am God, you know, just to sit and be still and know the divinity within ourselves. Yeah, and to trust. Mm, to trust, yes. How beautiful. Please give us, what was the second one? Uh, the second one is on hope. Yes. Hope is the sun lying on the horizon. Hope is the calm waters in a stormy sea. And hope is the love we still have in our hearts when the world has beaten us down. Have hope, find hope. And when you do find it, nurture it like a long-lost lover or friend and be grateful for its arrival because once hope arrives, it never leaves. Sometimes it is just hidden. And that's from Awakened Souls. Oh, that's lovely. I'm going to have to get myself a copy of Awakened Souls. I can't I'll, I'll send you yet. one, yep. <laughs> no, please, I want to buy it. Can uh, I, anyway, we'll talk about your, your books and how to get them in a moment, but what's the third message? The third message is on solitude. No one finds the answers they're looking for on the well-trodden paths. You will find other people but not answers. If you are looking for company, you will find it. But if you're looking for solitude, space and a new direction, you've come to the wrong place. If you wish to make progress, you must veer off the path and into the night, to places where the sky is brighter and the sounds much quieter. It is out in the wilderness that you'll hear your guides and intuition speaking to you softly, urging you to keep going. Incredibly beautiful, Courtney, and just again that idea of veering off into the darkness and the gifts that await there, you know, when we go into that dark place. And the other thing that strikes me hearing you share Krishna's messages 
is how different his voice is to yours as well. So Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You're very articulate and so beautifully spoken and you can tell a beautiful story, but there's something about his, I don't know if it's his cadence, his, you know, his turn of phrase, but it's his, it's not yours. Yeah, it's definitely um it's 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 very different and all, all of them have different voices. You know, Isis has a totally different voice. Carly speaks in a completely different way. Um, they're they're all very different. I think what what I love most about working with Krishna and and I say this to people when we do healing work together is that we can be working with 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 the deepest trauma and Krishna will find a way of making it beautiful. Oh wow! I feel like I could just talk to you forever. <laughs> I think if I ask you more questions, we'll I'll just take take up your entire day. We'll have to get you back on the show when the new book comes out, the one about that. Atlantis, and we can talk all about that. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today, Courtney? No, it's just it's been it's been a pleasure to be here with you today, and I'm I'm really grateful for the opportunity of, of speaking with you um, and all of the amazing people that listen to your podcast. And what I would say is this this world, this spiritual world, isn't scary. You just have to find, I think, the right the right guides to 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 lead you into it. I love that part of your message because we're not alone. We do have that support and that help that's in that invisible world, well, invisible to most of us, but we can all access it, Courtney. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think the, the, the spirits tell me that all the time is that we all have these abilities. We've just never been taught. Like it's it's in our nature. It's actually part of who we are. Um, so I, I definitely don't believe that, you know, people um, like me who have this ability have been born special or anything like that I think it's just like I spoke about earlier it's it's like a muscle and I think it's often it's finding you know your own version of, of spirituality and connection and 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 to not try and, and put yourself in somebody else's box or to compare yourself with somebody else I think our connection with that world is incredibly personal and so it's finding you know the way that feels right for you and that's why there are so many different teachers throughout history and so many different enlightened beings that have walked the path to help illuminate it for us, like Krishna and Isis and Kali or Jesus. Absolutely, yeah. I was just going to say I actually had a funny moment. <laughs> so I'd always, I'd, I went to an Anglican school and, you know, there was a lot of talk of, of Jesus and at, at, at that time I was really struggling with that. And, and I, I've made some funny comments over the years of, about him. And it was in a healing recently. I actually encountered Jesus and Mary. Mm. And I said to him, I'm so sorry for everything that I've said <laughs> over the years. And he said to me, that's, that's, that's okay. You, you didn't know me then. But, yeah, he was, he was amazing to encounter. But, yeah, quite funny for me as an angry teenager with all yes. the things that I've said in the past. Yeah. Yes, and kicking holes in, in it all. <laughs> But um, how beautiful! What a lovely experience to have. Yeah, they're all they're all incredible, and I, I think it's like networking that you know once you meet somebody, um, you're often introduced to to another spirit, and and they're they're all just here to help us, um, regardless of, of religion. If, if if anything, I've found that I guess religion and structure falls away. That they're all just these amazing beings that are just here to to bring out the best in us. That's a wonderful way to think of it. If we can just let everything else fall away and just access the the love and the support that they all have for us. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Now, tell us, how can listeners find out more about you, Courtney, and where can we buy your books? Yeah, so you can you can buy my books via Amazon. Um, so you can find Conversations with Krishna and also Awakened Souls. Um, but you can also find me on my website, which is www.courtneybeck.co. Um, and I'm at the same places on Instagram and Facebook as well. But, yeah, if you have any questions, sing out. Happy, happy to help anyone else who's trying to navigate this path as well and to try and save you some time and pain along the way. Oh, that's so lovely and generous of you, Courtney. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was indeed the perfect timing and we couldn't have done better. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure, Courtney. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime... Please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Mm-hmm.